Hey, y'all, quick announcement. If you stick around to the end of the show, we will announce three winners of our Twitter ticket giveaway for the It's Been a Minute live show that's happening here in D.C. next month. If you still want to come, even if you didn't win a ticket through the raffle, there are still some tickets for sale. Go to nprpresents.org to get you one. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, reporter for NPR's breaking news blog, The Two-Way, Laurel Wamsley, and NPR tech and retail reporter, Alina Selyuk. All right, let's start the show. You got it right. That was amazing. <laughs> I've been she waiting is, for this day. She's very meticulous about getting the names right, and uh, she's always proud when she does. Thanks, Betty. She's wonderful. Um, all right. Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Each week, we start with a different song. Uh, but first, two great guests here in the studio with me. Both are returning from vacation, and both are fighting some nasty coughs. <laughs> so thank you for your service. This will be great. We're going to make it work. <laughs> NPR News Desk reporter Laurel Wamsley, NPR Tech and Retail reporter Alina Selyuk. Glad y'all are here. Yeah. Where did you guys go on vacation? Uh, I was mostly in Mexico. I went Where to in Mexico. Mex- I went to Mexico City and nice. Oaxaca, and then I visited friends in Tucson, and we also crossed over the border into Nogales. So I got to see a border nice. town. Nice. So Alina, where'd you go for your vacation? All of my vacations are always taken up by trips to visit my family in Russia. Where in Russia? And it's a town called Samara. Okay. It is southern part of the European part, which is how I usually describe it. All right. It was warmer there than here, so I thoroughly enjoyed my time. Yeah, yeah. and now you're back in an artificially lit studio in cold Washington, D.C. So I'm much fun. I'm forward to yeah. this. So this song is by 50 Cent. It is called I Get Money. Because I know you got where some you're money going this with week. this. That's story also, I do like this song. Um, I'm playing this song because, turns out, for 50 Cent's last album, or just 2014 album called Animal Ambition, which nobody bought. Uh, he was, some people bought. <laughs> yeah. He was paid for the album with some Bitcoin. And that Bitcoin that he was paid is now worth more than seven and a half million dollars. And the best part is he forgot about it. Yes. That is the best part. Yes. He said in response to a story about this, I'm going to keep it real. I forgot I did that. Yes. This is just the best <laughs> Bitcoin story that's ever been written. It's amazing. I just want someone to come for it and be like, also, Laurel, uh, yeah, I paid you back for that pizza in Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm headed to the bank right now. So let's get into it. Uh, we are each going to describe how this week of news felt in just three words. Um, I'll go first. They are the whole map. Map. The whole map. Mm-hmm. Because we have seen leaders from all over the world descend upon Davos, Switzerland for the World Economic Forum. A lot of really powerful people. The elite of the out. elite. The elite of the 1% coming together to talk about how they can solve the world's problems. Also, like... And hang out. And I'm hang s- out. I'm just going to keep saying that. Because yes. that seems to That's be what, what they pretty they much do. do. Yeah. So Trump went to Davos this year, which was the first time a U.S. president has gone since Bill Clinton did many, many years ago. Hmm. And there was all of this preamble in the run-up to him being there about what might be an antagonistic matchup and face-off between him and this world elite. Turns out the way he was behaving at this conference this week pretty much contradicted all the disdain he claimed to have for the global elite during the campaign. 
That is so surprising. Yeah. I cannot believe that <laughs> this wealthy Donald alert. Trump <laughs> enjoyed being with other wealthy people. Yeah. You know, he uh, described having a great relationship with Theresa May, prime minister of the UK, after he disparaged her multiple times over the last year for her response to terrorism. He sat down with African leaders after he called a bunch of their countries asshole countries. Um, he even said that he might be open to entering a trade deal with multiple Asian nations, which sounds a lot like TPP. That definitely sounds like a reversal from uh, a few months ago when exactly that was in the news, the withdrawal from the TPP. Yeah, and we should clarify, TPP stands for the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It's a regional trade deal with a bunch of Asian nations. And Trump and others campaigned on not having the U.S. in that deal. So he was literally all over the whole map this week. Laura, you got three words? Yes. Okay. So... These are not uplifting words, I'm afraid to say. It's okay. Mm. The three words this week are culture of abuse. And Mm. that comes from an essay that was written by, it was a blog post written by um, the UCLA women's gymnastics coach. Mm. Um, Her name is Valerie Condosfield. And she's coached her teams to multiple NCAA championships. um, And a number of the members on her team are women who went through the USA Gymnastics system, you know, were Olympians, and then they go into college gymnastics after. And she talks about how just for decades, college coaches have basically been picking up the pieces of these just like broken young women emerging from from the world of elite gymnastics. Really? So for those who maybe just started following this case this week, Larry Nasser, who's the former USA Gymnastics team doctor and was also a doctor at Michigan State University, um, was sentenced on Wednesday to up to... 175 years in prison. Wow. Um, so, so he's essentially going to be living out his life in prison. Right. And he'd already received 60 years for previous child pornography yeah. um, case. And so um, only a few of the cases, like seven women, were actually a part of, of this case. But the judge in the case allowed 150 women, anyone wow. who wanted to, to give victim impact statements. So he molested sentencing. at least 150 women. There are at least 150 women who accuse him of. Oh my of, goodness! Yes, and probably many more. Yeah, and it's just so frustrating with this case. If you if you go back and read the articles, just some of these women and girls did speak up, and they were just told by Larry Nassar or by the other adults around yeah. them that this was a legit medical treatment. And oh, um, and so like so so much of this was just sort of like swept under the rug under the guise of oh he's a well respected doctor mm-hmm. you should trust him. Yeah. And the reason I, I think this story has hit me hardest. Um, just because these are girls. This is extra complicated because mm-hmm. these are We're children, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds. They don't know how the world is supposed to work. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, in terms of preventing this stuff, it's complicated. In terms of the outrage, this is uniquely uncomplicated compared yeah. to some of the sure. other stuff that's happened. Some sure. of yeah. these girls are 6 years old, 10 oh, years old. Goodness. It's so crazy. I was a gymnast growing up. I did really? competitive gymnastics. And I was never that good, but I loved the sport. Yeah. And I've still I've followed the sport all these years. And it's so crazy and sad to me to look back on that time and think, God, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't better because you, you would see, have been in that world. Yeah. And, and to look back on uh. like on all these all these girls who were my peers in terms of age and, uh-huh. and whose careers I followed and to look back on memories of those Olympics and now know what they were going through at the mm. time. It's just it's so troubling and it's just so completely so, changes the picture. It's so sad to have to revise all your memories uh. now that you know. Yeah. 
You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We're going to catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two great guests, Alina Selyuk, who covers tech and retail for NPR, and Laurel Wamsley, who literally covers everything It's true for NPR's two-way block. Alina, three words? So my three words are power of numbers. Mm. And there's two ways I'm looking at this. One is just the extremely powerful context that some numbers provided for me this week on some of the biggest stories, the school shooting in Kentucky. And the extremely powerful headline to me from the New York Times was school shooting in Kentucky was nation's 11th of year. It was January 23. Uh. I think it really tells extremely powerful and sad story of how many shootings at schools, around schools and college campuses have happened before the first month is even over. And then in in my patch on the business desk here at NPR, we have also been looking at some powerful numbers that are telling the story of the workforce. Hmm. We had a poll that was conducted by NPR and Marist that looked at the people who are working these days and what they're going through. And what we found was that One in five American workers Hmm. are contractors. That's a lot. And of course, it's going to get bigger as time goes by. The predictions are a few years down the road, we'll be looking at more temp workers than full-time workers. And of course, there's so much that comes from that. You know, contract workers don't have reliable benefits like health insurance, retirement savings. More than half of contract workers have no benefits. About half of them live month to month on fluctuating income. So Mm. um, one quote that really stuck to me was uh, feast or famine, feast or famine. Mm -hmm. Right. So one month you have a lot of money, you can pay the bills, you can figure out your future the next month, your contract doesn't come through, you don't have a job, you don't have the money, you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. Um, And then there were other elements from that story that I specifically looked at because of my interest in the retail industry. Mm -hmm. And that was automation, right? The more we buy online, the more of our stuff comes from warehouses. And right now, warehouses are hiring a ton of people because of our booming online shopping habit. Well, if you ask labor economists, automation is the thing that's looming over these warehouses, just like it loomed over manufacturing Mm. and factories. Mm. Well, even just, I mean, thinking like 15 years ago, no one would have ever thought that cars could drive for us. And we're pretty much almost there. Almost. You know? The one thing I will say is that automation does take longer. Than we um, think it tends will. to be. Yeah. Right now, it seems to be taking longer than we thought. I thought, I've been looking forward to a self-driving <laughs> car for like the last 10 years, and it just yeah. hasn't arrived yet. And I think similarly in the warehouses, that's what people feel. It's like, I do want to actually put it into a number since I am talking about yeah, power yeah, yeah. of numbers. Our poll asked all workers across all industries whether they would lose a job due to automation. Whether they thought they would. Whether they expected to lose a job due to automation. 94% said no. Oh, no? No. Oh. Almost all of them said no. It's unlikely I would lose a job. I'm totally okay if a robot hosts this show. I wonder if robots will listen to your show. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) I am not looking forward to that. (laughs) Will you at least tell me when the robot takes over? I will. I will. Yeah. As long as it looks like me. As long as the robot like looks just like me. We'll know. We'll know by Sam just kicking back with his feet on the desk. Oh yeah. Yeah. Welcome today. (laughs) Sam just eating oatmeal back there. Uh huh. Uh huh. (laughs) All right. On that note, as we wait for our robot overlords, time for a quick break. We'll be right back with long distance. Who said that? And a big old main story. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from HBO's High Maintenance. Inspired by the beloved web series, the critically acclaimed show surrounds the life of the guy, the nameless bike riding weed dealer who helps his clients deal with whatever life delivers. Each episode features stories that bring vibrant characters, all connected by their pot salesman, to life as the show captures the experience of truly trying to cope. Stream the first season now. New episodes from season two every Friday. Do you love trivia, puzzles, nerdy games, and humor? What about interviews with actors, musicians, and people from all walks of life? Yeah? Then join me, Ophira Eisenberg, host of NPR's Ask Me Another, every week on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, here with two great guests, Alina Seljuk, who covers tech and retail for NPR, Laurel Walmsley, who reports for NPR's breaking news blog, covering literally all the things uh, for the two-way. Hello to you both. Hello. Hey, Sam. I have a quick yes or no question for you guys. All right. It was just announced this week that for season two of Big Little Lies, Meryl Streep We'll be joining the cast. What? I know, right? As if that cast couldn't get any <laughs> right? stronger. Does this make you more or less likely to watch? I've never seen this show. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. I will show myself out. <laughs> All right. Yeah, thanks for playing. Have a great day. I am still working through season one. What is wrong? We're, hey, hey, it's oh been busy. God. It's been Has a busy it? year. It's never too busy for great <laughs> prestige TV. That's true. All I'm saying is I'm probably taking off a day or two of work when they drop that new season. Okay. Use that comp time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You heard it here first. All right. Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance. Each week, we call up a listener somewhere across the country and ask them how things are going in their neck of the woods. Today on the line from San Francisco, we have Kelly Zweibel. Hey there. Hey, Sam. Uh, you're on the line with two friends of mine, Alina and Laurel. Say hi, guys. Hi. Hey. Hey, guys. So what do you do there in SF? Um, I am a travel nurse. What exactly is a travel nurse? Okay, a travel nurse is a registered nurse that gets licenses in different states and then is contracted from a third-party company to work in different hospitals in different areas depending on the need of a hospital. So right now I'm in California um, and I'm covering maternity leave. So I've been out here in SF uh, since August and I'll be here through April now. I extended a few times because I didn't want to go back east to the bad weather. <laughs> good call. Very good call. Very good call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you wrote us back in November about a story that has been affecting a lot of hospitals all over the country. Um, turns out the hurricane in Puerto Rico affected uh, some medical supplies for hospitals. Puerto Rico is actually a big manufacturing hub for a certain kind of small-sized IV bag. Hmm. Who knew? Uh, but since yeah, Hurricane right? Maria yeah. last year, there's been like a nationwide shortage of these small-sized IV bags. And you were telling us that flu season makes it even worse. Why is yeah. that? And like, how bad is this problem? Um, so... Flu season makes the IV bag shortage worse because when someone comes to the, the emergency room or to the hospital or to the doctor's office with flu symptoms, the first thing you're usually going to do is hang a bag of fluids because they need to get hydrated. Yeah. So with more people coming to emergency rooms with flu symptoms, you're going to be hanging more fluids, which puts more pressure on the hospital system 
to have the bigger bags, which weren't affected by Maria because the bigger bags aren't made in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. So now in addition to having shortages of the small bags, which we don't have any at my facility, we're also being told to like be conservative with the bigger bags because we don't want to be in the same problem where we don't have any of those either. How has this affected you and your hospital specifically? Um, so at my hospital, I am in an outpatient cancer center. Okay. Um, so we've been doing medications safely, but in different ways hmm. um, that I had to learn how to do that I never knew how to do before. Like how? Um, so instead of hanging a small bag um, to a patient and letting it sit there for a half hour and run into the patient, we will pull up medications in syringes and directly push them into their IV lines oh, wow. or central lines over like five minutes, eight minutes. Can you use small bags and big bags interchangeably? It's probably a really dumb question, but like if you're out of the small <laughs> bags, could you just halfway fill up a big bag or is it not no. that easy? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. It's not that easy because uh, the small bags are mostly used for um, mixing medications in. Gotcha. So Mexica- medications have to be in certain dosages with mm. certain amount of fluids to make the concentrations right. Gotcha, gotcha. And usually, too, if somebody's coming in with flu symptoms, they need a lot of hydration. They need, yeah. like, a liter or two. Mm-hmm. So you can't just give, like, I don't know, 17 small bags instead of one large bag or whatever that math is. Yeah, yeah. Have they told you when when the shortage might be alleviated? Um, so... My hospital hasn't, but I've been keeping up with it just every once in a while. I'll Google what's going on with it. And I think as of last week, the FDA has announced that plants in Puerto Rico were starting to make um, make the small bags again. Um, usually the when there's bag shortages, the East Coast gets things first because it's coming from Puerto Rico. Hmm. But apparently also from a light Google search I did recently, <laughs> um, <laughs> they're uh, opening up the bags, either the large bags, the small bags, to other companies in other countries. Because gotcha. in the United States, we could only FDA approved only one company oh. um, to make our bags. That so there was a it. pretty large huh. monopoly. <laughs> that seems problematic in cases like this. Yes. <laughs> I have an unrelated question real quick. We were just talking, um, oh, I was just telling Sam and Laurel here about a project that we did here at NPR studying the contract force in the U.S. And we found that one in five Americans are contractors. And it sounds like you're you're in that pool. Yes, I am. How long have you been working in contracts? And was that sort of your personal choice or did you just fall into it? Um, it's something I've always wanted to do. There are a lot hmm. of travel nurses. Um, kind of throughout the country. I graduated nursing school. I worked for four years in New York City, and I loved my job. Yeah. But I have a I have a travel bug, and I wanted I wanted to see some other places and be able to on my days off feel like I had to go have adventures every day. Yeah. So since moving out here, I've had adventures every day on my days off, which is really fun. Can I be a travel nurse? <laughs> Please. <laughs> and do yeah. you get and do you get benefits? Yeah, I get health Great. benefits. Okay. Um, when I drove here from New York, oh, wow. I got I got a stipend for gas and hotel. Um, mm. So there, there's a lot of nice. I want to be a travel radio host. <laughs> yes, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are your plans for the weekend? You gonna have some fun? I actually am. I'm going to Reno this afternoon. I have a friend oh. from the East Coast who lives out there. Okay. So. 
where I'm going to go see him. Um, we were supposed to go skiing, but it looks like it might be close to 50 degrees tomorrow uh-huh. in the Tahoe-ish area because okay. there's no snow. So we might not, but I'm really excited. Yeah. It will be fun. Nice, nice. Well, I hope you enjoy yeah. it. Um, all the best. Thanks, guys. Thank Have you, Kelly. Have you. a good weekend. Kelly. All right, listeners want to hear from you for this segment. If you want us to call you and talk about what's going on in your neck of the woods, hit us up. Send me a note, samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. And also, seriously, though, like, travel radio host. That'd be so much fun. I just, like, I'm picturing your little mobile studio on right? the back of a little In the back airstream. of my Prius. <laughs> no, not, not to be a downer here, but I think there's a much greater need for travel nurses than travel hosts. <laughs> okay. Dang. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> So, guys, it is now time for our main story. And the team behind the show allowed me to really geek out on an issue that I've been kind of obsessed with for the last week. Um, It actually came up today in Donald Trump's speech at Davos. He talked about Apple announcing last week that's going to move a lot of money back to the states and pay a pretty hefty tax fine on the money. $38 billion in taxes on a total of $252 billion that they had been keeping overseas. Uh, So I want to talk about that deal and what it and the tax overhaul say about the relationship between Donald Trump and big tech one year in. And there's a really big word for what you're describing, bringing in the money from overseas. Repatriation. That's the one. It sounds quite complex. It's really quite simple. We'll get into all of that. But I want us first to flashback... Oh, no. To the heat of the campaign. And it seemed like every tech leader that you could imagine was coming out against Donald Trump. But it got even more sour afterwards. You'll recall after the Charlottesville tragedy, he uh, said some comments that led many tech leaders to leave his tech advisory council and denounce him in very, very strong words. It was a big exodus. This was following his immigration stand. um, And the companies in Silicon Valley were looking at their staff and the staff and the employees. Immigrants uh, work there. <laughs> many of them are, and they were up in arms. I think Uber uh, took a big hit at the time, but also Apple and Facebook and others felt like they needed to take a strong stance in support of their employees. Um, Microsoft spoke to my colleague, Arthi Shahani, mm-hmm. and basically said, if you want to deport our people, you have to go through us first. Wow. Yeah. And so you see that rhetoric, that level of tension. Meanwhile, those big tech companies spent some $50 million last year lobbying the government, lobbying Capitol Hill, lobbying Congress and the White House. And one of the big things that they were active on in their lobbying was having a say in this tax overhaul. And one of the biggest examples of how the tax overhaul affected tech was in uh, this talk, like you said, of repatriation. Mm -hmm. So basically, big global companies like Apple stored a lot of their profits and their money overseas because they didn't want to have the money come back into the states and have it be taxed at a rate that was some 35 percent. And so for years, companies have been doing this hoping that one day a Congress favorable to them would change the rules. So in this new tax overhaul, Congress basically said, wherever you've been hiding that money, now you have to pay taxes on it to the U.S., at which point you can move the money back into the U.S., you can leave it abroad, whatever you want. But that tax rate will only be 15.5%. Which is 
like half of literally what it half. Normally yeah. Be. And so I was like, this it's what's what's really going on with this. So I called up a few economists. I talked with Matthew Gardner. He's an analyst at the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy, and he basically told me. Don't let anyone try to tell you that this is a bad deal for Apple. They're basically having more than half of the tax they owed on these profits forgiven. Wow. In the short run, yeah, in the short run, it looks like and is reported as a tax hit. They're paying a bunch of taxes, but it's a tax break that looks like a tax hike. And it's a tax break that they wanted. They wanted this for a long time. Tim Cook has said before that this kind of corporate tax rate would help them be competitive, and they got it. But my big question is, like, all right, if they got what they wanted, why are they okay with Donald Trump making it seem like they didn't? But what's the downside? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's also a bigger context that this comes as part of a huge wave of corporations announcing these nice things they're doing for their workers and for the American economy. The bonuses. In the wave of, you know, following the tax uh, bill passage. Right, exactly. I mean, I wrote down a short list of companies. I'm sure others have come out. AT&T, Comcast, Disney, JetBlue, American Airlines, Boeing, JP Morgan, Bank of America, Verizon, wow. Walmart. They've all come out and issued some kind of announcement about things they're doing reinvestment for the or bonuses exactly. they're or whatever. giving bonuses raising wages for some folks um they're giving people uh, shares as gifts yeah. and all of it comes as this sort of acknowledgement that they are going to benefit quite heavily from the tax the corporate tax rate oh, being yeah. dropped from 35 percent to 21 percent wow and so they're getting on this front end to say look, we're investing in our people, we're investing in the economy. Yeah. I uh, talked to a tax attorney at USC. His name is Edward Kleinbard. And I was like, why are all these companies, Apple included, really going out of their way to say that this tax bill is so good for all Americans? And he said part of the reason why is because they know that most Americans who are polled say that they think the tax bill is only helping corporations. So it is in these companies' best interest to convince America that the tax bill is good for them because they want the tax bill to stick around. And they're very aware that if Democrats take over Congress or the White House, some parts of the tax bill could be rolled back. And he also told me that no matter what the rhetoric was between big tech and Trump before he won, at the end of the day, Trump won, and it's in their best interest to play well with Trump. It doesn't cost Apple very much to couch things uh, in these terms. Um, And in fact, it worked. The president uh, virtually immediately touted Apple's announcement in a tweet of his own. So why not? Why not? I think there was an interview with Cook a little later um, where he sort of acknowledged that a lot of the moves that they were announcing, for instance, the second campus, that sort of investment in the economy, that that was a long time coming, that that may or may not have happened regardless of whether the tax bill passed or not. But I think there is a really important point about the tech industry broadly and President Trump specifically. And it's that the, these companies are really large corporations. Yes. They're not startups anymore. Yeah. And any large corporation worth its salt invests in lobbying, mm. invests in policy debates, gets really heavily involved with politics. Yeah. And that's what we're witnessing. And, and, and like at the end of the day, no matter how idealistic companies like Apple purport to be, the money matters first, and their businesses, and it's about the money. It's just sort of part of the course, it's I the think, game in you Washington. Play. It's if game you, you play. are one of the wealthiest companies in the world. <laughs> yeah, you got to cover your bases. So one of the things 
I wonder, though, in the skepticism that some economists are placing over this whole tax overhaul situation, well, is the $38 billion good for Apple or bad for Apple? Are the bonuses because of the tax cut or not? At the end of the day, it's $38 billion back into the U.S. It's bonuses going to American workers. What does it matter if Trump did it or not? I think it's really hard to talk about the $38 billion one day falling out of the sky into the American land. But it is relatively easy to talk about the bonuses mm-hmm. because it's, you know, hard cash yeah. that is going to be in the hands of real people. A lot of thousands of American workers yes. this year. Yes. I do have one point though, which made me laugh when I covered this. Uh-huh. It's not tax free. The people getting bonuses, the bonuses still have are to taxed. pay <laughs> Yes, they still have to pay taxes on their bonuses. That's and, life. <laughs> and it's and it's everybody, right? It's like every person at the genius bar or whatever. Right. Exactly. But it is, I mean, at the end of the day, if I'm a worker for Walmart and my wage just went up, or if I'm a worker for Verizon I'm spend some more money. and I have a bunch of Verizon shares. Yeah. Good for me. Yeah. So one of the biggest questions I was left with was how companies like Apple that have now become truly global, how they fit into Donald Trump's rhetoric of America first. I talked to one economist, Jennifer Bluen. She studies tax at Penn's uh, Wharton School. She kind of had a bigger question basically saying, when you have a company like Apple, where two thirds of their business is taking place outside of the U.S., is that actually an American company? It's fantastic that that started in the United States, and I'm pleased that we can take responsibility for, yeah, that intellectual capital coming out of the United States. I think we should be proud of that, but I don't think we necessarily get to tax every dollar that they ever make in the future forever and ever, right, which is the way our tax system effectively worked. And I think that's a question that Apple and Donald Trump don't have an answer to yet. Like, what is an American company anymore? When everything is global. That is kind of a painful question. <laughs> right? But I think Apple also wants to be known as an American company. Yeah. You know, like I feel like on stamped on all their stuff is made in California, right? Like Except for the stuff that's made in China. <laughs> right, but there's still like but like that that yeah. idea of California, I mean, I think is is part of their branding. Mm-hmm. And they don't I don't think they want to be known as some multinational corporation. People don't like multinational yeah. corporations. Yeah. They want to be seen still as as this, you know, sweet fruit related company <laughs> that began in a garage. Fruit related. I love that fruit related company. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with, you know, and that's and that's part of the PR of all these companies. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, to end this, like for anyone that would feel bad about Apple having to pay a big <laughs> repatriation tax. Turns out, side note, Apple has 8 years to pay back that 38 billion dollars or to pay the, that tax and they have no interest or fees or penalties on however they pay it. I'll take that deal. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay, I gave you all the facts I learned this week from talking to smart people. (laughs) I think it's time for a break. Uh, All right, we're going to take a quick break right now. When we get back, uh, no more economics, some fun stuff. My favorite game, Who Said That? And we'll also hear from our listeners sharing the best parts of their week. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club. Discover hand-selected wines from award-winning vineyards around the world. Learn the stories behind each one and enjoy unique bottles inspired by your favorite NPR shows. All with the convenience of home delivery. A special welcome offer includes a bottle of weekend edition Cabernet Sauvignon. If you're 21 years or older, join in the fun at nprwineclub.org. All right, now it's time for my favorite game, 
My favorite, favorite game. Who said that? Ooh, and it's, and it. it's so simple. It hurts. I share a quote. You feel what? I feel utterly unprepared. It's okay. Everyone freaks out about I, this game. I crammed. But here's the thing. Everyone so freaks out. You know there's no prize. You know there's no prize. You say that. No, there's <laughs> actually no prize. There's, there's the flip side. There's the burned ego. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Self-respect. Yeah, yeah. It's quite simple. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that. We'll do three today. The winner gets absolutely nothing. I'm still scared. First quote. She is not very integrated with the group. As bison acts like one organism, and she stands out. It's the cow. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking he was a deer, but you're right. It's a little baby it's cow. cow. This is the cutest story that I want to be a Pixar film ASAP. Which is so wonderful. Um, a Polish cow on a cow ranch escaped <laughs> and has been wandering with a herd of wild bison all winter. The photos are so Have you seen the photos? No. Google uh, bison cow right now. <laughs> I want not. you to see it. Okay. okay. Um, and so... That quote was from a biologist uh, who was talking about the case of this cow. And someone else said of the cow, she, quote, chose freedom. So she's been, she, she ran away from this Polish farm late last autumn. She's been lingering on the fringes of this herd of some 50 bison in the forest on the Belarusian border. And the thinking is that, like, the herd of bison has actually kept her alive because had she been alone, some wolves might have, like, killed her. But they're going to take her back to the ranch soon. No. Be- Here's why, though. If she mates with the bison, uh. the calf will be too big that it will kill her. Wait, it's oh. possible? Yeah. So they got to get her back. Uh. She's just taking a year off college. It's okay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Alina has one. Laurel has zero. But it doesn't matter, guys. <laughs> We're all friends here. Right. Next quote. You ready? Yes. Here it is. Our singular focus will be on the show and delivering the correct envelopes. The Oscars. Yes. One for one. One for one. Uh, this was Tim Ryan of Price Waterhouse Cooper, or PWC. This is the accounting firm that handles the tallying of Oscar votes. They have new rules out uh, for the next Oscars. I hope they do. To prevent the moonlight La La Land fiasco of last year. A celebrity presenter will confirm that they have the right envelope before they step on stage. Well, duh. Seems <laughs> like a reasonable... Yeah. You had one job. You had one job. Number two, the accounting firm will attend the rehearsals. That's a good thing, too. Yeah. And uh, anyone there from PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC, they are prohibited from using cell phones or social media during the show. It's amazing how, like, everything that goes wrong seems to have been caused by people looking at their phones when they shouldn't have been. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't yeah. even understand what that cell phone rule has to do with this. It's, like, apparently distracted the, driving. Apparently the guy got confused with the envelopes because he was trying to get a selfie with uh, Emma Stone. He was taking an Emma Stone selfie, and in that moment he got the envelopes. I mean, who among, who among us? Who among us? Who among us? Next quote. You guys are tied. Okay. This is for all the marbles. Oh, no. Ready? Here we go. I've always felt very secure and confident with myself and knowing what I could do and what I could not. I don't have the DNA for it. Oh, Oprah. Wow. Look. Sorry. Did, I, did you know it? I did know it, but I was slow. Laurel, Laurel, <laughs> Laurel, Laurel. This is correct. Oprah spoke to InStyle magazine this week, and she was asked about whether she would run for president. This is in light of her Golden Globe speech that, like, set the left on fire. Uh, she said, probably no. She said, quote, I have to say the core of me is about conversations, exploring the depth of our human experiences. This is what I do. That is my calling. I'm glad that we can finally move past this hysteria because it was it was people were losing their minds 
I was out of the country Oprah. when this happened. Be glad. And I was shocked. I was like, really? All of America's <laughs> talking about a speech at the Golden Globes? All of what America. What has happened? All of America. So, fun fact. Um, I know a lot about Oprah, and I watched that show pretty faithfully growing up. Surprise. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> when I saw this news that she did not want to run for president, I remembered that one season of Oprah, her show, she made uh, the theme song herself. She sung the theme song wow. herself. Oh, really? And the song was called, ironically... Run on. There it is. It's jazzy. I turned down a job at the Oprah Network once. Stop! What was the job? Production assistant. It was wow. very early in my career. You might have made this song. I, I might have been there. You gotta hear the vocals though. Oprah's really tried. I see laughing and crawling and loving and knowing what life is worth. This is her singing. <laughs> I'd listen to this. Lies. <laughs> on that note, you don't rap, know me. That, I don't know you. I don't know you. Oh, also, congrats to Laurel. You won. Congrats to Oprah for making that song. Congrats to Alina for just being here. For just not failing miserably. <laughs> okay, guys. I want to invite our listeners to listen to something else in our podcast feed before we end. This part of the show, I talked with Yamish Alcindor of PBS and Nina Totenberg of NPR all about the Me Too movement now and then. Um, so people might not know, Nina Totenberg broke a really, really big story back in 1991. It was a case of Anita Hill, who had accused then-Supreme Court nominee Clarence Thomas of some really egregious sexual harassment. And the dialogue and conversations around that moment uh, have some really interesting parallels to the place we find ourselves in now with the Me Too movement. Uh, the conversation's good. It is a previous episode in your podcast feed. Uh, I want to play a bit of it for you now. It's Nina Totenberg talking about how Anita Hill was treated during the Senate hearings all about her accusations. She was treated as a by Republicans on the committee as a delusional person. It was my opinion at the time and is now my opinion that Ms. Hill's fantasies about sexual interest in her were an indication of the fact that she was having a problem being rejected by men she was attracted to. For any woman watching the hearings, Uh it was the way rape victims used to be treated Hmm. 50 years ago. It's really something. So I was just listening. I was listening to the episode this morning, and I was hearing that tape and the other tape that's in there from the senators, and like my jaw dropped. The stuff that yeah, you know, where Anita Hill describes what happened, and and senators turns and says, "Well, so that's not sexual harassment." She's like, "That is sexual sexual harassment." harassment. It's just it's it's fascinating to hear that tape. Are any of those senators still around? Joe Biden. He was he was uh, the leader of the committee who chose to not hear more testimony Mm. from other women that had really accused uh, Clarence Thomas of some pretty bad stuff. Um, So, yeah, a lot of them are. A lot of them are. It's a good episode. Check it out. All right. Now it is time to end the weekly wrap the way that we always do. Every week, we ask our listeners to send us the sound of their own voices, describing to us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. They always do. Hit the tape. Hi, Sam. It's Hannah calling from Wisconsin. And the best part of my week was that despite being sick and despite having over a week worth of delays and flights and cars breaking down and whatnot, I'm finally home with my family after a nine-month deployment. Oh, awesome. Thank you for all you do. Have a great week. 
Hi, Sam. This is Julia from Philadelphia. Hi, Julia. This week, I drove home to D.C. to celebrate my family dog's 14th birthday. Aww. He's a giant Bernese mountain dog named yeah. Rocky, and I'm so happy I got to celebrate another year with him. Happy birthday, Rocky. Hey, Sam. This is Eric. The best thing that happened to me this week is I got to see my baby's heartbeat. What? Wow. For the first time in eight years since I started working full-time, I'm getting to go on vacation. Congrats. Congrats. Today is payday Friday, and I'm going to eat brisket from the food trucks. Yeah. <laughs> Hey Sam, I'm Rorik. I've been studying abroad in Tokyo for a year now and this week we got our first snow day this winter and I got to play with friends who had never even seen snow in their lives and that was amazing. Oh, that's so cool. Hey Sam, um, so the best thing that happened all week is that my girlfriend Melissa is finally leaving her job to pursue her own business wow. full time making baby onesies with 90s themes. Oh. Yes! <laughs> really proud of her. Um, thanks and have a great weekend. I've been yeah. waiting for this. <laughs> Hi Sam. Her whole life, my 70-year-old mother has wanted to visit Italy. Wow. My father even had a secret bank account where he was saving up to surprise her with a trip for their 40th wedding anniversary. Oh. He passed away one month after their 39th. Wow. But tonight, my mom and I are boarding a flight. Yeah. And we'll land in Venice. That's awesome. Awesome. Hi, Sam. This is Randy in Bellingham, Washington. Um, hey, Randy. My best thing wasn't this week. It was last month. But uh, M- I have MS, and it took my eyesight in 2008. Um, oh, my. I thought back then that I would never be able to live independently. Mm. But in the years that have passed, I managed to relocate to Bellingham, Washington from Tucson, Arizona. And I now have a gorgeous little studio apartment that I can afford thanks to a local agency that helps people um, who are low income. And I now have my own place and my home and I have fallen in love with my new city. That's awesome. I never thought I would leave Tucson, um, especially after going blind. But yeah. You just never know what can happen when you throw caution to the wind and follow your heart. And um, thanks so much for everything that you do. Thanks. Thanks. And have a great week. Bye. Thank you. Shout out to all of our listeners for just persevering, you know. Special thanks to Hannah, Julia, Eric, Lauren, Kelly, Rorick, Jay, Kendra, and Randy. We hear all these that come in. We wish we had time to share all of them. We don't, but we listen. We do listen, and they warm our hearts every, every week. Thank you all for sharing. Uh, Anyone at any point throughout any week, let me know your best thing. Email me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. I know what 50 Cent's best thing all week was. (laughs) (laughs) That Bitcoin money. Finding those Bitcoins in your pocket? Yeah. Let's go out on 50 Cent. Who knows? 50 Cent could be something totally different. (laughs) This is the thing. Like, he was never really a good rapper. Listen, he's just like, okay, whatever. He's saying words. I don't know. Were you a 50 Cent fan? Yeah. (laughs) I'm just gonna... (laughs) Okay. All right. It's fine. It's fine. I also don't believe he got shot eight times, but that's just me. Anyway. (laughs) Sam's hot takes. Yes. (laughs) I'm so glad I'm here for this. Yes. Yes. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Steve Nelson is our director of programming, and we had editing help this week from Jeff Rogers. Our big boss is NPR's VP of programming here at NPR, Anya Grundman. Uh, and to our two very special guests who fought back some colds and cough stuff we to be it. here. Alina, Laurel, thank you guys. It was a pleasure. It was really fun. Uh, listeners, refresh your feed Tuesday morning. 
I will be in conversation with Carrie Brownstein. What? We're talking all about Portlandia. Uh, Their final season's coming up. She's delightful. She's the coolest. She's delightful. I love her. It was re- it was really great. So she listen gonna, up to- Is she going to have a podcast voice on? I hope so. We actually talked about that. that the, the podcast. Get- oh, yeah. It's episode. delightful. It's delightful. All right, listeners, thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Hey, you're still here. I have an announcement for you guys. We have our live show for It's Been a Minute next month, and we raffled off some tickets on the Twitters, and we have the winners. We're going to announce them right now. They were chosen randomly, and they are Twitter user Amy Pendergast, who is at Amy E. Penn. Also, Jennifer is a winner. She is at Genevieve429. And Emma Johnson won as well at Emma J-O-H 518-44004. Congratulations, winners. You will have... Uh, Tickets in uh, the VIP balcony box seats. JK, LOL, there's no balcony in this venue, but you're going to be there for free. It's exciting, I promise. Uh, we've tagged you all in a tweet, so send us a direct message on Twitter in like 24 hours with your full name, with your email address, and we'll get you those free tickets. Thanks to everyone that entered the giveaway, and if you have not gotten your ticket yet to the live show, do so. I have confirmed uh, Aunt Betty's attendance at said event. You'll want to meet her. 